This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. From Christianity Today, this is The Art of Pastoring. I'm Jared Wilson. And I'm Ronnie Martin. Guide me, O thou great Jehovah, pilgrim through this barren land. Today we're going to discuss oh, such a great topic, Jared C. Yeah, neither um, of us know anything about this. No, not at all. We're going to talk about dealing with uh, whether it's congregants or supporters or fans who uh, go from being fans and supporters to critics. So those people who were once in your corner, so to speak, and then who have clearly stepped out of your <laughs> corner and have some things to say about you and how much they don't really want to uh, support you the way they once did. And we're going to relate this, of course, to pastoral ministry and how often that happens in the life of a pastor for us. So it's interesting. We like right now, we talk a lot about cancel culture. That's just something that is such like a, a hot button for us. But it's actually, I mean, we think about it, it's something that's existed in the church and specifically for pastors for years. So let's start by just talking about, Jared, what's like a scenario for how this plays out for whether it's pastors or maybe even one of your own experiences? How, how do we see this sort of happen in ministry? Well, I think it happens when someone's idealization of you or their image of you is challenged by you. <laughs> yeah, Not necessarily you directly, but you disappoint somebody. And the fan becomes a critic when they begin to dwell on that disappointment. They've put you at a certain level or they think of you a certain way. And you challenge that just by being who you are or failing them in some way, maybe in actuality or just in their own mind. You, yeah. You've somehow failed them. You failed to live up to their image of you. And church people are great at kind of weaponizing their disappointments or spiritualizing their disappointments. Yeah. You've disappointed me. Therefore, you're in sin. You violated the commandment of thou shalt not violate my yeah. expectation of you. Right. Thou, thou shalt not violate my image of you. The 11th my, commandment. Exactly. The, the, the obligation, the unspoken obligation that you have to measure up to what I think you are mm. or what you ought to be. And so when that happens, it, it, it really becomes a personal kind of even spiritualized thing. I think most pastors who've been in any one place for an extended period of time know this, like they feel this situation where somebody who was a supporter, it's worse though. Like it's one thing when a fan or an admirer becomes a critic, it's certainly maybe not as common an experience, but still very common, too common when a friend actually becomes an enemy, yeah. when someone who they don't just admire you or quote unquote support you, 
but they're a friend. Like they're in the trenches with you. Yeah. And share bread with you and marched, you know, shoulder to shoulder with you. When that one becomes an enemy, that's a stab, right? A yeah. Stab in the oh, back, yeah. Right? For sure. It seems like, you know, it seems like pastors in particular are susceptible to this. I, maybe it just comes from leadership in general, where, again, like you said at the beginning, there's a particular kind of idealization that happens with leaders. I think with pastors, given who they are, given their call and their place, um, you know, in people's lives, that can be something that becomes so exaggerated to the point to where I would say it's okay to disagree with your pastor on some things, right? Right. right? Like, like it's okay. Um, and that shouldn't be something where you have to sort of fall out of graces with them or pull yourself completely, you know, as far away from them and out of their corners. You can to, to the point where you can't support anything that they do, but there's, there's something sort of inside of us um, that looks to men like pastors that we, we, we kind of put them in this role that says they have to align with every thought that I've ever had about everything, right? Yeah. And, and a pastor isn't allowed to have an opinion on something that doesn't align with every single person in their congregation. Where do you think that that, and maybe you answered it before, but where do you think that comes from? Because I have people in my life that I'm really good friends with, that I admire, that I have different opinions on things about, and it's just not a factor for me um, because generally speaking, I know when it comes to the essential things or, or some foundational things, you know, we're in line and it's okay. Why, why do you think specifically with pastors, this is such a thing that we see? Yeah. So what you just described, being able to be friends with somebody and disagree with them and you're still friend, that's called spiritual maturity. <laughs> can you define, being, can you define that for us, Jared C? That's being a, a spiritually mature individual. But what happens for those who, they're not able to turn that curve or kind of get over that, that speed bump in the relationship such as it is, is certainly a kind of spiritual immaturity. But again, I just think it speaks to I don't love you as a person. Yeah. Right. I don't. I don't love who God made you to be. I, I don't love you. I love the image of you that I want you to be, or that I've constructed in my mind. And when you fail that, right? So it's it's basically idolatry is what it is. Yeah. I've I've created either the relationship. I mean, you and I could go on, you know, for countless podcasts on the the variety of ways this plays out because we both experienced this in ministry. But it's everything from the guy who's your friend or or you think is because everything's light and, yeah. and fun and you're hanging out with him. But then when you have to get serious, he's in sin or there's something going on in his life that you have to speak into as his pa- you know, as his brother and friend, but as his pastor. Right. Well, that interrupts the relationship and suddenly he's checking out because you've changed the nature of the relationship. There's that. There's the the guy who's a big time fan, just you know, like we talked about previously, from the fan to critic, he you know he loves your preaching. He you know he's loving all that stuff, but you say one thing, you you share an opinion or a viewpoint on something that violates his viewpoint yeah. or, or or disagrees, and it's like, oh, I mean, I had you like you were checking everything off on my checklist until I got to the, <laughs> right. you know to this one thing on in times or what, you know, whatever it might be, <laughs> right. there's some theological minutia that you have not lined up with this guy's airtight 
personal theology. I mean, there's just a million different ways there is. that this plays out for people. When you're planting a church, I'm sure you've experienced this. I experienced this. I know many others who have. You're planting a church. People come in, families or people come in, and they and they. One warning sign, I think, is when they talk about how refreshing and what a great place it is, and they've never heard this message before, and they've been looking for a church that is full of grace or full of power or whatever it is, <laughs> the and they're just trembling at it, that and point. like, I mean, you just feel so puffed up. <laughs> that person or is going to yeah. stick a pin in the in in the air, yeah, before too long, because yeah. when they've got a backstory of I've been to X, Y, and Z church, and none of them are doing it right you're the next one on the list. Like you're the next body in in the wake of their, for sure <laughs> of their serial dream killing. <laughs> um, you know, they're so anybody talks that. a big game about that. Like I, I get like the spidey sense starts tingling of, okay, there's going to be a point where, where I disappoint you. Yeah. You know, I had a guy in my last church who would always come up to me after I preached and just go on and on about like, man, you knocked it out of the park. That was a great sermon. He never said that I can recall you know, I don't remember him saying anything specific about what he learned or what impacted him or it began to feel like I'm enjoying the performance. Right. Like you yeah. preach really well. So I, I enjoyed what you were doing. I'm entertained every week to a degree. I'm entertained yeah. every week. And that began to kind of, I began to get a little nervous yeah. ab- about that. It feels good at first and it does, it does. for a while. Yeah. But after a while, you're like, oh man, what happens when I don't knock one out of the park? Mm-hmm. And then he began to say things like, Better not leave us. Better not go anywhere. Oh, okay. You know, kind of thing. And w- what I discovered through the process with him, because he was a big fan and instrumental in bringing me to the church, and he became a big critic. He was actually one of my biggest critics when I was leaving, and was really angry with me for for leaving and and some other things that I think he imagined that I had done that I hadn't. And you know, I've tried to kind of troubleshoot this in my brain, like what happened. And there was just this series of, of of disappointments that I didn't measure up to what he had expected yeah. of you know of me. Yeah. He had me up up on you know I guess a pedestal. I don't know, and I kept trying to come off of it, and that was that just kind of was too jarring for him to process. And what I would say, I couldn't figure this out at the time, but what I could have said or or should have said was, I don't think you love me. I think you love your idea of me or right. what, what you, you want represent. me to be. You, yeah. You're measuring me against yeah. what Bonhoeffer would call the wish stream. I think, yeah. you know, he says pastors have wish stream congregations or wish stream churches. I think congregations have wish stream pastors that they're constantly measuring their pastor to some other pastor. So that's like some of the ways these things can happen. But it happened to Jesus, didn't it? I mean, it's not like he was above fans turning to critics well i know and that right so, i mean he was I, he would have been literally and figuratively the king of that right being canceled by fans and critics at different times in his ministry and i think one of the things that pastors maybe fall into just a sense of forgetfulness about is that particular point you know which is remembering that like gosh jesus had so many critics and these were, these were men that had been with him for some time. It wasn't just Pharisees who heard his message, immediately reacted, walked the other way, slandered him. But these, again, were people that had walked with him for some, for some time. And I think that's where some of the sting comes in. You know, so you can detect sometimes somebody coming into the church and they immediately have sort of a little bit of that 
personality type or a little bit of that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm suspicious. I'm going to play my cards a little close to the vest. I'm going to be real careful with you. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of insecurity in my life. I've had bad experiences with pastors and churches in the past. You can detect that. And so you have a little bit of a guard, you know, maybe a healthy guard raised up for that. I think one of the really emotionally unsettling things is what you described is people that have been in your corner. I think they've praised you appropriately. They've engaged in good conversation with you. They give you the benefit of the doubt. They've proven themselves to do a little bit of, hey, you said something. I would like to, I would like you to flesh that out a little bit so I have a better understanding. You do that. They kind of have a good give and take and, and a sense of grace and compassion towards you. And then when they turn and when they flip and then when all of a sudden now they lack ability to give you the benefit of the doubt, it can put pastors into a bit of a tailspin. And so I'm wondering right now, what is the dividing line between saying, hey, we can have some healthy disagreements here about some things. I can still respect you and I can still honor you as my pastor. And then what, what is the line on the other side that says, man, th- that guy's gone too far. That pastor's moved a little beyond the realm of even having an expectation that he's going he's gonna, to you know, end up distancing some people, maybe for some legitimate reasons. And what is that line? would you say? Yeah. Do you mean the line of when it might be okay to part ways or? Yeah. And, and to say, you know, because again, that, that stuff, be, this becomes a little, sometimes this becomes hard to articulate, right? So somebody yeah. says, Hey, I just, I can't walk with this pastor uh, anymore through these, through these particular issues or areas. How do we address what's appropriate in that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think this is why the scriptures are so helpful and kind of centralizing for us what is essential, right? I mean, yeah. we all have preferences. We all have things that we would like to see or like to hear. We have styles that that we appreciate more than others. And this is why I say the, you know, the spiritualizing of disappointment is is hmm. really so toxic in a church because there's so many different things that we would like to see or experience. And everybody brings that in to yeah. the experience of the congregation. Everything from architects. I mean, it's cliche that churches split over carpet color and those <laughs> right. sorts of things. But and and but but I think it's actually happened. And it wasn't yeah. really about the carpet, but it was about how that it's about know, control. Pardon the pun. How that thread kind of unraveled. <laughs> wow. Right? It, That's why they should un- be doing hardwood floors <laughs> in churches. Look at that. It just, it, you know, it, it, it unravels a, a, a string of wow. related conflict. I'm going to just keep the pun going. It just, right? it, just it, 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 it unravels the weaving of the tapestry of. <laughs> Boy, <laughs> now, this is. Now I'm getting off track. Brother, you've crossed a line with me. You got this me going ili- on These this. illustrations, man. These, these, you'll be able to carry these, man, for the rest of your preaching career, man. That's right. No, but I think that it, it becomes the flashpoint for something else that's yeah, going on. For sure. Some other rift revealing a lack of centrality on the word of God. So when it's legitimate, how do you know when to part ways f- for real? And it doesn't mean you stop loving somebody or, or even stop being in, in some kind of relationship with them. But I think I would say to a pastor, okay, I, I can't follow you anymore when what he's saying or, or doing is not in line with the essential 
yeah. tenets of of the faith, right? He, he's preaching a false gospel. Absolutely. And that's a big charge right now. That's the thing, too, because this has become such a blanket totally. you know, accusation. Somebody yes. says something we don't agree with related to a cultural issue, right? Racial injustice or... You know, political preferences, and all those sorts fa- of things. We can turn it in, falsely turn it into a gospel issue, right? Is we spiritualize the disagreement or the disappointment, right. which becomes because you have violated m- my opinion or my viewpoint. Now you're into falsehood. You're you're actually right. preaching a false gospel, and so there's lots of guys online who are calling heretics, people who articulate all of the essentials of the you know Orthodox Christian faith. They are affirming Christian orthodoxy, and yet because they depart from critic A and B and C on how we might approach these issues, you've got to be in, you know, you're an apostate or you're, you know, you're a heretic because, not because you violated the Apostles' Creed or, <laughs> right, but because you have violated how I think some of these things ought to go or or ought to be. It's it's a failure to do theological triage, right? We collapse secondary and tertiary issues into the primary. Right. And think if, if you disagree with me on on tongues or whatever it is, it's yeah. because you're a heretic. Right. And for and us right now churches all the time. Yeah. And for us right now it would be things more like racial tensions and how we think the gospel what gospel implications are for thinking our way through issues of, of race and uh, I've lost friends for that, have you? Yeah, I mean, even recently, th- those have been some painful conversations in the sense that it's people that, people that carry a particular narrative of which they, they see no wiggle room or they, they don't see the gospel bearing on it um, in ways that I, I think the gospel does bear on these things. It's really hard to have a reasonable conversation because reason and reasonableness, that doesn't become something that continues to be an aim. So to be open to reason means that we are saying, well, hold on, let's back up. Let's make sure that the one thing we're not doing is just shutting down the conversation and we are now starting to point fingers and we are now starting to put you in an enemy camp instead of being able to say with grace and with charity, hey, hold on, we, we can both start to dialogue about how the gospel bears on these particular issues, but it should be a conversation that is filled with grace and winsomeness. And I think that's what seems to go out the door. And instead, there is just a defensiveness. There's a defensive, there's an angry and enraged kind of posture that gets kind of brought to the table, to which, of course, now we're not really able to have a conversation any longer, right? Yeah, and isn't it odd? I mean, we see the offense so clearly of someone violating a secondary or tertiary yeah. consideration, but we don't see the offense, you know, our offense of violating the primary commands of being kind and yes. gentle. <laughs> right. I mean, th- the Bible speaks to how we use our tongues, it speaks to the speech and what the world would be able to judge the church by, what they would know us by, these are all very clear. And yet we're willing to jump over those to eviscerate people who can have a reasonable disagreement on cultural or political issue that the Bible has application to, but doesn't necessarily say thou shalt vote this way or thou shalt have right. this you know, yeah. viewpoint on this political or or you know, legislative decision or something like that. 
And we'll jump to that right over how we're to regard brothers and sisters. And when that takes place within a church, I mean, yeah. right now we're kind of talking about what's going on in the scene and maybe even among some of our friendships or, or sure. you know, peer networks. But when it's inside a local congregation, man, it just... It's devastating, it, yeah. Yes, and it can just so toxify the environment. And it doesn't take a majority of people to do it. Right. You just have a minority of people who are very vocal and and, and motivated, and then the rest are, are somewhat passive or, or even neutral about it. And it can just cloud up. It just stinks up the whole, it does. The whole place when that yeah. takes over. This episode is brought to you by Preaching Today. Are you tired of chasing down quality sermon illustrations? Need fresh ideas for helping your message connect? Each week, Preaching Today adds fresh content to our database of over 14,000 editor-screened illustrations. Quickly find the right story that will bring your message to life and help your people move closer to God. Get started today at preachingtoday.com. What do you do? I mean, I mean, let's just be practical yeah, or, for sure. or, or responsive. What do you do with that? How do you respond to critics? Yeah, I think there's limitations, right? Because it, you know, you can only do what you can do and you can't control what other person, what another person says or how they react or the ways you wish they would respond instead of react. I think the best thing you can do is always lean in and strive for some kind of conversation, communication, try to get clarity, um, even if there are disagreements, to always encourage an openness of heart, an openness to reason, just a, a guard against slander and gossip. If you're, if you're holding to a particular view that your pastor isn't holding to, um, the last thing you want to do is be divisive about that. So I think just going back to scripture, and it's what you brought up a minute ago, which is just saying, hey, there there is a particular kind of conduct within anything that we think or believe or engage in that is supposed to be baseline for us. And I think to do your best to draw people back to that particular kind of Christian conduct. In the, so it's not necessarily the words we say, it's the way that we say the words we say. And I think the best we can do in some of those scenarios that quickly escalate and become potentially toxic is to bring everybody back to, hey, this is what Jesus has called us to in terms of the love that we have and how we respond and how we say the things we say. At some point, it might come to a place where people aren't able to do that. And, and I think that there's, I think that's where it requires some action steps in terms of showing them the grace of saying, hey, what I'm going to ask you to do is distance yourself at some point and to not spread gossip and to not spread slander. And because you can only do what you can do, right? Even as a pastor in terms of how you encourage someone in, in their conduct. And at that point, you might have a lot of cleanup work to do as well, because people can be damaging to, to congregations. One, one person can be so massively damaging to a, a congregation in terms of what they're spreading and the poison that, that they're spreading. And they might create so much cleanup work for you to do in, in the process. And you're going to need a lot of grace and a lot of patience for that. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's always church discipline, right? Yeah. Well, that's right. Exactly. I think that's what I was describing, but <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. You know, Ray Ortland once told me, you know, so I was dealing with a pretty much kind of a, a discipline issue Yeah, and was just really stuck of like not wanting to be 
ungracious? How, like, how far do I go yeah. in this situation? How long do I, you know, how much rope do I give? Yeah. You know, all these sorts of things. It was just was really complex for me emotionally because I didn't want to be ungracious and I didn't want to be punitive with someone, but they were, I was running out of options and I remember, you know, um, calling up Ray and just kind of explaining the situation just for some advice. And he hmm. described, he said, you know, Jared, sometimes you have to protect somebody from the congregation. Yeah. And somebody, you know, sometimes you have to protect the congregation from somebody. Yeah. And that was really helpful and really clarifying to me right. when I realized, okay, this actually, this is, this is spreading. It's, it, it's almost cancerous. Yeah. This kind of toxic, you know, there's a, there's a toxic criticism that just begins to kind of, you know, metastasize. And I had to, for the sake of, of that person, yes, because discipline is ultimately, you know, has the hope of restoration in it. Yeah, it's but, an act of grace. Yeah. yeah. But for the congregation's sake, like I had, I had to protect the congregation. Oh, yeah. We've got a little bit of time left. Let's talk about the opposite side. Do you have a story or any thoughts on a critic becoming a fan? Like, <laughs> let's be encouraging or hopeful. Does it does it ever run the other way? You know, I think I think it does. I think I think the way that I've seen that happen most often, I and mean, probably less dramatic, is that sometimes you will get people that will come in. They'll come into the church. They'll, they'll, they'll start getting their feet into the congregation a little bit, into the, the life of the church. And you might just, you know, sit down with them and you might just get a sense, you know, after hearing their story that they've been through a lot and they had a bad run with a couple of pastors and they might even have some bad ecclesiology. They, they might even have some real faulty ways that they're processing these things. And yet I found that on occasion, for whatever reason, God gives you some favor and some grace and you're able to establish kind of a new narrative for these people because they, for some reason, by God's grace, they're able to begin a, a relationship of trust with you. And then before you know it, it's three, four years later, and this person um, becomes a not, not just a not just a fan, but becomes a supporter, and not just of you, but in the actual work of the church. And he's able to stand back. He's maybe even received some healing from some of the, the past experiences he had. And, and uh, I'm, I'm actually thinking of somebody in particular in our church that that happened with where, gosh, I was really, there was a lot of fear when they first came in because I knew their story. And it was one of those ones where you can be a little flippant as a pastor and go, oh, this one's not going to end well. This one's not going to go good. And it turns out, you know, five or six years later, you know, I had a conversation with my wife and I was like, can you believe the journey that this person had and how they're, man, they're one of our best servers and they're just so kind and they're so supportive. And, but remember, remember how it was when they first came in and how much fear there was. So I think God can do that work. And I also think that some of the fear that we have when we're trying to navigate somebody who has become a critic, knowing when to discipline and by disciplining, is that just going to is this thing just even going to spread? How many misunderstandings am I creating? Man, it can really cause a lot of paralyzation, I think, for, for pastors, right? So because of every, every really fun and good story that I just described, the ones that seem to stick out the most are the ones that didn't end so well. Like when you just, <laughs> asked, when you just asked me that question, I had to go, hold on. Like, I don't have a lot of time to think right now. I got to think of, you know, one or two of these occasions yeah. that, you know, somebody who was a critic became 
just such a, just a good and gracious supporter. But I think the other side of it is what causes so much fear, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think the experience is a little different because most of us, when someone becomes a fan or, or is on that process, as you described, they're not really a critic necessarily when they come in. That's true. Yeah. They're, they're just more fearful or timid. Yeah. I'm thinking of several cases, but one in particular was at my last pastorate. I was new and she wasn't a critic per se. She just was honest mm-hmm. without that that gift or or the button that people can push where they keep their thoughts to themselves. <laughs> <laughs> that was the most gracious way I've ever heard anyone right. describe that. Yes. So I, I read her as a critic yeah. early on because she was very vocal about how she, she was kind of bossy, how she wanted me to do things, uh, what I need to do. You yeah. need to get out there and do this. You need, so it's not criticism per se. It's just, Hey, I feel like you might be on the verge of failure any second now. And so I need to tell you what to do. And I was really intimidated by her. Her name was Natalie. She was an older lady. And after a while, like I just endured it and it may be uncomfortable. It, it, it maybe kind of standoffish a little bit. And yet I just sort of endured it, hung in there. And after a while, we got really close. And she began, I think, to trust me and see kind of how I was working through things as we talked more. We began serving together at wow. uh, at a food pantry in, in the next town over from us. So we spent a lot of time together there and, and traveling and just working through things. She would come and hang out. If I had to do counseling with, say, a woman or somebody in the church, she would come and be present in the church. So she just became kind of this mama figure. And she went from being not a critic per se, but just kind of, I hope you get this right kind of thing right. to to being a, de- a dear friend and a support. Like she did become a fan and yeah. she became a supporter. Yeah. And, and she, by God's strange providence, she was the last saint. I had the privilege of, of walking to the finish line before uh, I left there. Yeah. And, and I just, I remember sitting with her, like, you know, when she, I mean, she was literally on her deathbed and just saying how far we've come in six years. I was like, I don't think you liked me when I first showed up. <laughs> and she just said, I care about the church and, yeah. you know, and I cared about you loving the church and caring for the church. And I thank God that like, I didn't push her away. I yeah. didn't run off. I thought, you know what, I, I'm going to be myself because that was the danger for me. That's the big danger for me. If I think you don't like me and I want you to, yeah, I'll, I'll try to be what you want me to be. I'll try to play up to that. And I at least had the wherewithal to kind of be like, hey, this is me and, I, and, I, and I'm doing my best and I'm not going to write you off or kick you out or anything like that. And it, it, it endeared her yeah. or, or it, you know, it endeared me to her in that process. And it turned out really sweet. So hopefully on that hopeful, encouraging note, Certainly, that's not true of every of every critic. You know, for every critic, there's a different you know approach to them. But sometimes, brothers, if if you just hang in there and be yourself, keep preaching the word, keep tending the flock. Even even critics can become fans. the The process can be reversed. Amen. You said it well. I'm Jared Wilson. I've been speaking with Ronnie Martin. Thanks for joining us today on the Art of Pastoring podcast.
if you're liking the show, please take a minute and give us a rating and review in iTunes. It helps other people find us. You can find Ronnie and me on Twitter at, at Ronnie J. Martin and at Jared C. Wilson. Feel free to hit us up with questions and potential topics for the show. We'd love to hear from you. The Art of Pastoring is a production of Christianity Today. It's produced by Mike Cosper, editing by Mike Cosper and Aaron Leslie, mixing by Aaron Leslie. Our theme song is Guide Me, O Thou Great Jehovah by Jeremy Casella. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.